As we come to Mark chapter 10 this morning, we're coming to a passage where we're really discussing things in halves. Last week we discussed the half of this that emphasizes what Jesus taught about marriage. And this morning we're going to take a look at what Jesus taught and what the whole Bible teaches about divorce and remarriage. I have to tell you that I almost wish I didn't have to talk about this morning. I mean, I wish we could just say a few words about verses 10, 11, and 12 and move on. But I feel that as a a pastor, as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it's really my responsibility that where you come to an issue that's so real and is touching so many lives, both in the church and out of the church, we really need to take a Sunday morning and maybe just take a few less verses than we normally would and examine this issue scripturally. So mainly what we're going to be talking about this morning is about divorce and remarriage from a scriptural perspective. And uh, we're going to be especially focusing on verses 10, 11, and 12 of Mark chapter 10. But why don't I begin at verse 2 so we get an idea of the whole context. Mark chapter 10, verse 2. The Pharisees came and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, testing him? And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. And Jesus answered and said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, his disciples asked him again about the same matter. So he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now last week we spoke about the uh, portion of this from Mark chapter 10, which focuses on marriage. Uh, Jesus spoke about the importance of marriage and how marriage is really God's institution. And we understand that, don't we? Marriage isn't a human invention. We didn't make it up. It's not our place to make up the rules as to what marriage should be or or, uh, how it should be conducted. It's God's institution. Therefore, we recognize that he has the right to tell us what marriage should be and how marriages should be put together. We also saw in this passage from the Gospel of Mark how Jesus taught us what's really important in marriage, and that's this fundamental principle of unity. How God has called a man and a woman to come together and not just live together, not just to be pals, not just to be partners or associates, but to be one. And how essential it is for the husband to keep in mind especially the essential unity of the marriage relationship and how things just don't work right in the marriage relationship when the husband doesn't recognize that fundamental oneness that God has created in the marriage relationship. We also talked about how God brought them together in one and how it's both a spiritual fact, but it's also a practical thing to be achieved. It says the two shall become one flesh. And it's something that God wants to do in a husband and wife in bringing them together. And then in verse 9, we talked about the fact that God has joined together people in marriage. And, well, man can't separate it, but God can. And we talked about there's biblical grounds for divorce. And that's really what we're touching on here in verses 10, 11, and 12. I want you to notice something very important about verse 10, where it says, And in the house, his disciples asked him again about the same matter. I think those are very important words, because if this was just a a three-verse teaching 
on divorce and remarriage, and these were the only three verses on the topic in the entire Bible, then you would come away with a very definite perspective, wouldn't you? If this was all the Bible said about divorce and remarriage, you'd come away from verses 11 and 12 saying, if you're divorced for any reason, then you can never be remarried. But friends, we need to understand what Jesus is talking about in the context. First of all, he's explaining things to his disciples based on what he has already spoken to them about. We understand this clearly from verse 10, where he says, And in the house the disciples asked him again about the same matter. In the previous verses, Jesus has established that there is a permission granted for divorce, as they stated it, and Jesus did not contest it. It's even more clear, as it's elaborated in Matthew chapter 19. By the way, if you'd like to mark in your Bible, you might just write in the margin next to this passage in Mark 10, Matthew 19, because that's where Jesus speaks about this. And to be honest, Matthew's account of this is a little fuller. It's a little more complete than what Mark gives us. But from the passage in Matthew and from the passage here in Mark, we understand that Jesus indicates that God does permit divorce in the case of sexual immorality. I didn't say command. Jesus didn't say command. He says that God permits it. God says, well, because of the hardness of the heart of man, whether it's the hardness of the offending party, the hardness of the offended party, the hardness of both of their hearts, I will permit divorce in the case of sexual immorality. Therefore, when the disciples bring the question of verses 11 and 12, really, Jesus is answering the question, what about a divorce gained on other grounds? He's already talked about the legitimate or, the, or the, 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 the way that God will permit grounds for divorce. What about divorce granted on other grounds? And what does Jesus say about that? Look at verse 11. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another... Now again, he's not talking about under biblical permission because he's already dealt with that. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now again, I need to make this so plain that we can only stand to understand this passage by taking into account, and I love how Paul said this in Acts 20, 27, the whole counsel of God. And you could turn at another time, or I'll just tell you about it right now, to Matthew's more complete rendering of this teaching of how he notes that Jesus said, and listen carefully, Jesus said, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. You see, with this answer, Jesus interpreted the meaning of uncleanness in Deuteronomy 24.1. In that day, Jesus' day, the, the Jewish rabbis believed that God permitted divorce. It was just a question of under what circumstances. There were some who believed that God permitted divorce for just about any reason that a man wanted to get divorced. If the wife burned the breakfast, the man had permission to divorce her. Literally, the rabbi said this. There was even one rabbi who taught that it was grounds for divorce if a man saw a woman who was more beautiful in his eyes than he had the right to divorce his wife. But it sounds just like today, doesn't it? And there were some people going around teaching that. And they base this on a wrong interpretation of Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. Jesus gets back to the true interpretation of that passage, and he says, no, God did permit divorce in the case of uncleanness, but what uncleanness means in Deuteronomy 24, 1 is sexual immorality. 
And so Jesus is explaining this and interpreting this, how God recognizes divorce and the freedom to remarry only in the case of sexual immorality. Now, there is something I need to explain about this, that the ancient Greek word that's translated for us, sexual immorality, especially in Matthew chapter 19, is the ancient Greek word pornea. It's the word from which we get our word pornography or pornographic. It's a broad word covering a wide span of sexual impropriety. Let me say this. A person may be guilty of pornea without actually having consummated an act of adultery. And so God says, in the case of sexual immorality, well, then divorce is permitted. Not commanded, but permitted. Now to this, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 15, the Apostle Paul added another biblical permission for divorce. And that permission is abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. In that passage in 1 Corinthians, Paul's trying to explain between Christians who are married to non-Christians. You see, in the Corinthian church at that time, they kind of had the mistaken idea that if you were a Christian and married to a non-Christian, the most spiritual thing you could do is divorce your, your spouse and just go live under the Lord. And Paul says, no, no, no. He says, if you're married to an unbeliever, do the best you can to stay in that marriage. Who knows? God may lead you to be a wonderful influence on your children and on your husband. You do your best to stay in there. But Paul says at the end of that little discussion, but, and I'm going to paraphrase Paul's idea here. He says, but if your partner is determined to leave and doesn't want anything to do it, then let them go. God's called you to peace in such matters. And so that's another biblical permission for divorce. So really we have two. Friends, I, I need to stop here and just say, this is not an easy thing for me to teach on. As I look out upon all of you this morning, Without knowing your individual lives, I know that just statistically speaking, there are many, many lives in this room that have been terribly hurt by the pain of divorce. And it's probably true that some people resort to divorce casually. They get married casually, they divorce casually. It's probably true that there are some people like that, but I've never met any of them. The people who I know who have undergone the difficulty and the pain of divorce, it's been an incredibly wrenching thing for them. Very painful, very difficult. And they felt that they were only doing it as a last resort. But I have to stand before you as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ and declare to you the truth of God's word. And I have to tell you this morning that the Bible says that there are certain things that are permitted grounds for divorce in God's eyes, and there are other things that are not grounds for divorce in God's eyes. And God says that there are two biblical grounds for divorce. The first one is sexual immorality. And the second one is abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. God didn't say that incompatibility was biblical grounds for divorce. God didn't say that not loving each other was biblical grounds for divorce. He didn't even say that misery was biblical grounds for divorce. Now, friends, I will say this, that any one of those things may be, and I'll say this advisedly, please, trust me, I'm speaking of very broad things, and oftentimes these things can only be really sorted out and applied when you get one-on-one -on -one with a pastor who can apply the scriptures to the complexity of your situation. 
But I'm going to speak in a very broad term here. Incompatibility, not loving each other, misery, they're not grounds for divorce, though they may be proper grounds for separation. And proper and consequent, what we might call celibacy within the marriage vow. Let me explain as we go on here. Jesus says in verse 11, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Now again, we've established that Jesus is talking uh, about a divorce outside of what God has already permitted. But if it's outside of those reasons, then Jesus says, you divorce and then remarry, then you're committing adultery. The reason why a person who does not have a legitimate divorce commits adultery upon remarrying is because in God's eyes, they're not divorced. Look back to what Jesus said in verse 9. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. I propose to you that man on his own authority, man on his own thinking, it's impossible for him to say, well, I'm going to separate this marriage. It has to be approved by God. And since the old marriage is still valid in the eyes of God, you might say that that person is actually guilty of bigamy and adultery. God sees their old marital union as still valid, and yet they now have entered into another marital union. Friends, we've got to come to grips with an important fact here, and that's the fact that marriage, as a promise that's made to God, made to our spouse, and made to the world, is a binding promise, and it cannot be broken at our own discretion. There are certain cases where God allows the promise to be dissolved, but it's up to God. It's really not up to us. If you look at what Jesus says again in verse 12, he says, And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Again, we understand he's speaking outside of what he's already permitted. This statement of Jesus shows why it's important to take the whole counsel of God on any given topic. If this were the only passage on divorce and remarriage in the Bible, then you might be tempted to say, well, look, you get divorced. Nobody can ever remarry. And might I say that there are some people who teach that. I believe they're incorrect. If you have biblical grounds for divorce, then the Bible says you're free to remarry. If you do not have biblical grounds for divorce, then as far as God is concerned, you're not divorced. And we understand this by taking the whole counsel of God into account. Friends, if a divorce is not based on biblical grounds, then there is no right to remarry. Because as far as God is concerned, as he looks down from heaven, he sees you as still obligated to that marital union because it was never dissolved for biblical grounds. Now, I know that this may seem like a great burden to some of you, and I understand that. You listen to my words and you say, Pastor David, you're taking these poor people who are already beaten up by the pain of their, of their ruined marriage and their divorce, and now you're heaping more guilt upon them. Well, friends, I understand that what I'm saying right here might make some people feel guilty. I don't feel good about that. That's not my goal when I step up into the pulpit. So I want to make as many people feel as guilty as possible. But I have a responsibility to tell you the truth from God's Word. And I'll allow that it's possible that maybe I'm understanding these things incorrectly from the Scriptures. Maybe I'm wrong. But it has to be demonstrated to me that I'm wrong. Because I've looked into these things very carefully, biblically speaking, and I I honestly believe that I have a, a good understanding of the whole counsel of God's Word on this subject. 
What I also want you to see is that God has a tremendous freedom in this. Friends, when we understand God's word, when we understand his commands, there's always a freedom in it. Satan in the world would always want you to look at the command of God as something binding in the terms of bondage. God wants you to see how freeing it is. And this is the freedom in this. When God looks down from heaven, he does not see three categories of marital status. And we kind of feel like that. It's stamped on everybody's forehead. Single, married, or divorced. And divorced, for many people, has been the scarlet letter of shame in the church. Oh, well, you're divorced. You know, you're not fit for remarriage. You must be an especially notorious sinner. Friends, I want you to understand that as God looks down from heaven, he only sees two categories of marital status, single and married. You are either bound to a marital vow or you're not. If you are not bound to a marital vow, you're free to remarry. I'll say it again. God doesn't look at someone who has a biblical grounds for divorce and say, well, they're damaged goods. They can never have it right. They can never enjoy remarriage. They can have, they're damaged goods. No, God doesn't see it that way at all. God says, listen, my heart breaks over this divorce. I wish there could have been a way to keep it together because of the hardness of man's heart. I've given permission for it. And because I've given permission for it, then I will allow it. And you are no longer bound under that marital vow. Friends, when we understand the whole counsel of God on this subject, it frees people from the stigma of divorced in the church. But I recognize that for other people. It creates a whole other set of problems. Because they look at their lives and they look at maybe their past and they say, you know, I sought a divorce or I was granted a divorce and it wasn't for biblical reasons at all. And you know what makes this so difficult? is that everybody's situation is different, isn't it? You'd start talking, and it's very easy. I understand this. Please, I understand this very well. It's very easy for me to lay out the principles of what the Bible says. But when you start getting into the mess of people's life, it's not so simple anymore. It's, well, what about this, and then this, and then this, and then that, and then this? And it takes careful and prayerful going back to the principles that God establishes in His Word. And because of the complexity of this, I thought I'd sort of take the second half of this message and do something a little bit different. Take questions and answers. Well, not let you guys ask the questions. I've written out the questions. (laughs) We do this from time to time on Wednesday night or occasionally even on a Sunday morning where I'll, uh, you know, it's ask me anything and you write out a question, I'll come and answer. Well, I've written out the questions just to save time here. And I just thought there might be questions that might be on people's minds about this subject because it is very complex when you try to bring these biblical principles down to real life. So let me ask a first question here, and I'll ask it to myself. Here's the person. They're asking, my wife and I just don't get along at all, and our relationship is nothing but fighting and arguing. Sometimes we even edge towards being violent with each other. Shouldn't we get a divorce? I would have to answer that. Biblically speaking, you can't get a divorce. Because, friend, this isn't a case of sexual immorality or abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. Now, you may come back and say, well, wait a minute. No, this person isn't a believer. And they have, well, again, then you get into the complexities that have to be addressed principle by principle, situation by situation. But let me say this simply. If it's not a case of sexual immorality or abandonment by an unbelieving spouse, 
You can't get a divorce. I'm not saying that you shouldn't. I'm saying that you can't. And you need to understand this. That if there are not biblical grounds for the divorce, God does not see you as divorced. The state may see you as divorced. The IRS may see you as divorced. Your health plan may see you as divorced. Your family may see you as divorced. Your friends may see you as divorced. You may see yourself as divorced. But God doesn't. God says as far as he's concerned, this marriage vow is still an obligation that you must observe. So what does this person do? The husband and wife are fighting like cats and dogs. Maybe even there's a a situation where there has been violence. And might I say, husbands, if you are ever violent to your wife, you need to get down on your knees and repent before God and your family. There is absolutely no excuse for that kind of conduct. And I'm not going to say by a Christian man. I'd say by any man, especially for a Christian man. But what does someone do in this situation? It's just an unlivable situation at home. Well, I need to tell you that the Bible addresses this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I believe that in that situation, Paul says that it's permissible for Christians to live separate in those occasions. But you can't regard yourself as single. You're separate, but not single. You have to still live under the commitment of your marriage vows. And what I mean by that is it means no dating, no flirting, no looking for another spouse. These things are simply out of bounds for somebody who's committed to a marriage vow. And so if it's an unlivable situation, I think God would recognize that. And he may say either for a time or perhaps in an extreme situation permanently, you may separate but you're not single. You're separate, but not single. Let me put myself in the place of another question. Someone asks, I divorced my husband a few years ago, and since then, neither he nor I have been with anybody else. I see now that our divorce was not made on biblical grounds. So what should I do? Well, there's a problematic question, isn't it? The state recognizes the divorce. You say, I realize there's not grounds and we haven't been with anybody else. Well, first, you need to see that as far as God is concerned, you're still married. And it means that you should right now live under the commitment of your marriage vows. As I said before, you may be separate, but don't consider yourself single. Second, it means that perhaps God will make a reconciliation. And why not pray for that end? As far as God is concerned, you're still married to that individual. So why not? But friends, if that just doesn't seem like it's going to happen, you need to live under the commitment of your marriage vows unless your estranged husband provides biblical grounds for the dissolution of your marriage. Let me put it very practically. If he goes and remarries, that means that he's committed adultery in God's eyes. He's gone out and he's had uh, sexual relations with someone else. And that provides grounds for a biblical divorce. But unless that happens, you have to live perhaps as separate, yet not as single. Friends, I recognize that this is a very heavy price for you to pay. I recognize that that may seem like an intolerable burden to you. You say, it's not fair. I'm in the worst of both worlds. I have to observe the obligations of the marriage covenant, 
but I'm not getting any of the benefits or blessings from it. And you know what? You're right. You're in a terrible place. You're in a place where you have the worst of both worlds. And I understand how it might seem unfair to you. But you made a promise. You made a promise before God, before your spouse, and before witnesses. And God is simply asking you to honor the promises you made when you committed to marry that person. I know you're paying a heavy price to honor that commitment. And my heart goes out to you. I know it's painful. But God still expects you to honor it and he will bless you for honoring it. Here's a third hypothetical question. I divorced my husband a few years ago and he had committed adultery. So am I free to remarry? The answer is absolutely yes. Without reservation. God looks at you and he doesn't see divorced stamped on your head. Your status before God is single. You're not under the commitment of a marital vow, so you may marry. But one thing must be clear. The principle of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39 says, applying it to this exact point, she's at liberty to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. In other words, you're free to marry, but only in the Lord. Choose the right spouse in the Lord. Just because you say, well, yippee, I'm single. God gives me permission. I'll run out and marry somebody. Don't be foolish. You're free to remarry, but in the Lord. Here's another hypothetical question. I divorced my husband a few years ago, and I am the one who committed adultery. Am I free to remarry? Friends, this is a tricky question for some people. They would say that the permission to remarry is only given to the person who was the victim in the marital relationship, not to the person who actually committed the adultery. And I say, that sounds very fine logically, but I can't find it in the scriptures. Scripturally speaking, what you have is a dissolved marriage. You are free to remarry if that's your situation, even if you were the offending party. Now, your previous marriage has been dissolved in the eyes of God, so you're free to remarry. But make sure that your sin of adultery is confessed and forgiven before the Lord and that you're not excusing it or approving it and that you understand what you did to fall into that sin so that you can avoid falling into it again. If you're the offending party, if you were guilty, then then don't play around with it. Don't make Just stop the excuses. Come before the Lord and say, I'm a sinner before you, God. And there was no excuse. There might have been a hundred reasons, but no excuse. And seek forgiveness before the Lord and put things back right together with him again. Another question. I divorced my husband a few years ago, and it was not because of any biblical grounds. Since then, he has been with another woman. So am I divorced or not? Friends, this is it gets so tricky. But again, I would have to say, I believe you are. I understand there may be differing opinions on this, but I would say that even though your marriage did not separate because of sexual immorality, there has been sexual immorality since your separation. And it's a messy situation, but it's grounds for a biblical divorce. Here's another question. You say that the definition of sexual immorality in Matthew 19 is broader than just adultery, and that it includes a wide span of sexual sins. Well, a month ago, I caught my husband looking at pornography on the Internet. 
is that sexual immorality? Can I divorce my husband? Let me answer this. It depends on just how hard-hearted your husband is and how hard-hearted you are. Let's remember God granted this permission for divorce because of the hardness of people's hearts. Now, if your husband's heart is hardened in this sexually immoral behavior, then, then perhaps, perhaps it should be considered permission for divorce. And what do I mean by hardened? Friends, if he just hears you say how this is offensive and how it has no place in your home, but he completely disregards, refuses to see it as sin, excuses it, refuses any help or any intervention from the church family. And friends, it may come to that point. Or maybe it's your heart that's hard. We've seen situations like that. Where the marriage isn't going well and people are begging for a reason to find biblical divorce. And so they become lawyers in the law of God. And they're hoping against hope that their spouse would commit adultery just so they could have a reason. Friends, you see, your heart isn't right, and that is it. Your heart isn't right there. You've made up your mind and your heart ahead of time that you just want to dump this person that's your spouse, and now you're just looking for an excuse. Whatever you might say about the legality or the technicality of all these things, let's always remember God sees our hearts. When we're just looking for an excuse, God sees it. Might I say this, that if you or if your husband is involved in pornography, it's a serious issue and needs to be dealt with. And if it remains chronic and unrepentant, it may fulfill the spirit of what Jesus described in Matthew 19 as sexual immorality. I'll say this as well. Men, women, if you're locked into this, you need to be set free. You're in bondage to this. Jesus Christ can set you free. Jesus Christ can bring forgiveness and healing into your life. If you need help, if you need people around you to keep you accountable and to keep you walking, we have a group of people that meet every week who have difficulty coming, overcoming because of chronic or stubborn sins. You can get together with that group of people and they'll stand beside you and help you. Nobody needs to be around here and say, well, you know, I, I had this problem, but there was nobody there to help me. No, there are people to help you. You just need to make your need known. Let me consider one final question here. My first ex-wife and I divorced many years ago, and not for biblical grounds. Since then, I've remarried and divorced for biblical grounds, but she's remarried a few times, and her present marriage is in trouble. And I talked to her the other day, and she's wondering if God doesn't want us to get together again because we were married first together. Should I pursue this? (laughs) Well, the answer is absolutely not. She's married, and I just sort of made up that question to illustrate a principle here. Friends, let's be honest. As individuals and as a society, we haven't handled the gift of marriage that God has given us very well. We haven't handled it very well. And as a result, things are a mess. And you have these horribly messy, complex situations. Well, well, the first wife was a believer, but the second wife wasn't. But there were grounds here and there were no grounds here. Should I go back to this one? And how about that one? Listen, it can be so confusing and just racking in your mind. I think we need to take into account the principle of 1 Corinthians 7.20, which says this. 
Paul's speaking in this context of separation and marriage and divorce and singleness and all of that. In that context, he says, let each one of you remain in the same calling in which he was called. In other words, Jesus Christ is talking to you right now where you're at today. You may have a past filled with complexity and pain and immorality and adultery and divorce and this and that. Friends, when you try to untie all those knots at this point, it can be unbelievably vain and hopeless. God just says, look, let's just start where you are right now. Right now, are you bound to a marital vow? Then respect it. Right now, if you're not bound to a marital vow, then walk right as a single person before the Lord and only marry in the Lord. When you try to go back and redo the mess of the past, it's like trying to untie an impossible knot. So God looks at you today and he says, where are you at right now today? Isn't it beautiful that God's a God of the second chance and the hundred and second chance? And he looks at us today and he goes, you know, some of you haven't done right in this area in your life, but I'm here to heal. I'm here to restore. Let's move forward. You know, Let's just say that you've been a total irresponsible jerk and you've got a string of broken marriages and immoral relationships in your past. I'm not asking for a show of hands. <laughs> but friends, let's just say that's you. Then God calls to you today and he says, confess your sin, get it right with me and let's walk right from this point forward. God wants to give you all this to free you, to set you right, to put you in a beautiful place of loving, trusting obedience with him. And friends, I'll readily admit that these commands are hard from Jesus. That when we see the true depth and obligation that he commands us to respect in the marital relationship, it's heavy. Do you want to know what the response of the disciples was when they heard Jesus teach this? When they heard Jesus say how binding the marital vow was and how there were very few exceptions by which the marital relationship could be broken or divorced. The disciples heard Jesus say this and they said, man, then it's better for a man not to get married. Now, I don't know if they they had the right heart there. But they understood what Jesus said perfectly. Because they understood that the marriage vows we make are not to be lightly or easily broken. And we need to respect what God says regarding them. Friends, maybe for some of you this morning, it's time for a new start. Maybe the past has been a mess. Maybe a lot of what I've had to say here this morning has been painful for you. Well, it hasn't been easy for me. But it might have been very painful for you. you know, God wants to set, set you free from all of that. Get it right with him and move on. Let's pray to that effect. Lord God, if there was ever a time when we needed your Holy Spirit to come and speak to individual hearts, it's right now. And I pray, Lord, Father, I want to pray for any person here this morning. And Father, they've been divorced. And they've lived, Lord, through the pain and the difficulty of that in a way that I've never experienced. But Lord, you know the pain of rejection, broken relationship. You know it because you deal with us all the time. Father, I pray for people who are in that painful, hurting place, that you'd bring the, the comfort of Jesus Christ, the soothing balm of Gilead by your spirit to come and, and to minister unto them. And that you'd pour out your spirit in tender and powerful ways. 
I pray, Lord, that nobody would leave here this morning feeling condemned. Rather, Lord, even if they've been confronted, they'd see the goodness, Lord, in your word and in your command. Father, we all recognize that we stand before you falling short of the, what, of the ultimate goal that you have for us in marriage. Lord, you can bring us to that place. So heal and comfort hurting hearts. Give us wisdom and courage by your Holy Spirit. And Father, help us to walk in marriages that glorify you and give you honor. Lord, finally, I want to pray this morning for the person here who's contemplating divorce. Maybe they have biblical grounds, maybe they don't. Lord God, I would ask that you would give them an overwhelming sense of your spirit. And Lord, that they would not take that final step unless, Lord, they they know that they know that they know that not only is it permitted by you, but that it's necessary. Do a deep work in our hearts and our lives by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.